You're listening to a teaching from Vintage Church LA. This week we're hearing from lead pastor Gare Jones. So for those who are new or been away for a few weeks, we are in a series looking at the Old Testament book of Ruth. It's a very short book and only four chapters long. But we're looking at it because this year we want to fall in love again with the Old Testament. I found for many years the Old Testament to be challenging, to be difficult, to be confusing. And yet, as I've studied it, I've seen how actually it's a beautiful revelation of who God is. And it's one melodic line pointing towards Jesus. And to understand Jesus well, we really have to get to grips with what comes before him. And so we're looking at the book of Ruth to begin with, and maybe throughout the rest of the year, we'll dive into some other areas as well. But the book of Ruth, as we saw last week, is principally about this one thing, how God uses his people to transform lives, how God uses you and me to transform lives around us. See, the story of the book of Ruth is really about a a mother, a widow called Naomi, And chapter one, we see devastation strikes her life. Her husband dies, her sons die, and she's in a foreign land. She's a refugee without any money, without any security. And what we see over the four chapters is God transforms her hopelessness to fullness, to redemption, to blessing. And over those four chapters, we see her life transform. And at the very end of the story, she praises God for the transformation he's done in her life. But here's the curious thing. The story is of this transformation, but the story is explicit that we don't see God do anything directly. We don't see God's hand directly involved in Naomi's life. There's no angelic visitations. There's no manna from the sky. There's no kind of supernatural things. In fact, God really isn't mentioned. And yet at the very end, God is praised for changing her life. And this is the whole point of the book of Ruth because the author wants us to see that God transforms lives, heals communities, brings his love into this world, but he does so through people. He's created the world that his will, his love, his ways are outworked through his creation, you and me. That there are times in the Bible he does things directly, but they are few and far between. What the author is trying to tell us is you are created to be the means of God's grace, the means of God's love, the means of God's healing in the world. God desperately wants to do things in this world, and so he does it through his people. And so we see in the book of Ruth, we see Naomi's life is transformed by God through people. We, see that we saw last week, Ruth's friendship to Naomi was the catalyst for deep transformation. We're going to see this week another character. In chapter two, the story introduces another chapter a character, a man called Boaz, and God uses Boaz to further his work of redemption and healing in Naomi's life. God uses his people. This actually is a great theme of the whole Bible and goes back to Genesis chapter one, where God says, I'm gonna create humans, humanity in my image. 
This is what the word image means, that we image God to each other. We reflect his love to each other. We saw last week how one theologian put it, like humanity has been created to be an angled mirror reflecting the love of God to the world around us. And the author of the book of Ruth is saying, let me show you this in practice. Let me show you what it's like to be an angled mirror in your families, in your communities, in your workplaces, where you can be the means of God's presence to those around you. So we're going to pick up this story and read chapter 2, a bit of chapter 2 and a bit of chapter 3, just to recap where we are in the story. So Naomi married a bloke called Elimelech, who was a bit of a disaster. And Israel was in famine, and he got disappointed with God. He shook his fist at God and left Israel and went to enemy territory, went to a foreign land, not just to find food, but to defect. He went to a, a country called Moab. Moab were the arch enemies of the people of God. There they settled down, they had sons, they gave them Moabite names, they married Moabite women, and then all of a sudden tragedy strikes, Naomi. All the men in her life die. Her husband dies, her sons die, and she's left as an immigrant in a foreign land with no money, no security net, with two daughters-in-law who are locals and yet she's not. She decides to turn back to God, to go back to Israel, thinking, you know what, I'm going to give God another try. One daughter-in-law goes, I'm going to stay here. But another, the other daughter-in-law, Ruth, decides in one extreme act of sacrificial friendship, I'm going to go with you. And so Ruth and Naomi go back to Israel, but they're in dire straits. They have no land, no home, no money, no people, no children, no security net, no anything. And so we pick up the story with what they do when they arrive back in Israel. And we're going to start in chapter 2, verse 2. Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, all right, we've got to do something, so let me go out to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone who's, in whose eyes I find favor. So in other words, she's going to go out to the harvest fields. When all the workers have got their harvest, she's going to go behind and maybe find some scraps left over. So Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. Now, as it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the family, the clan of Elimelech, who was Naomi's deadbeat husband. <laughs> Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseers of the harvest, he said, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, oh, she's the Moabite. I mean, this is a word that is full of reference to the, our arch enemies. She's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi, the one who defected. She, she said to us, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. So she came to the field and has, and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. 
Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground and she asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you would notice me, a foreigner? Skip down to verse 17. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. Now I have no idea how much an ephah is, but someone during the break told me an ephah is about this much. <laughs> so it's kind of, it's a bountiful amount one person can carry, you know, it's a good load. She carried it back down to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left after she had eaten. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of this guy I worked today with is Boaz, Ruth said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. For God has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, this Boaz, that man, is actually our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Little pause here. Guardian redeemer was a responsibility given to men in the family to take care of any family member who had fallen on tough times. So Ruth just happened to be in a field with one of her clan's guardian redeemers. Chapter three. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I've got to find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, this guy called Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on some perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor but don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. This is like Tinder years ago. Right? <laughs> Verse five, I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. Now, when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went, down to lie, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, someone startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. In other words, she's saying boldly, Will you marry me? Verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. What a story. <laughs> it gets better. Come back next week. <laughs> but for now, we're looking at chapter 2 and... I've said before, one of the keys to the Old Testament is not just to get out of it some mushy feeling, but to really 
hone in on what is the original author trying to tell us by looking at the literary cues, looking at repetitive words, looking at themes that he's introducing, why is the original author, inspired by God, writing this short story about this woman called Naomi? And the key in this passage is very clearly the author is trying to do something that we miss in our English translations. And the key to understanding what God is telling them and us is in verse 20. So we're gonna go back to verse 20. When Naomi hears about Boaz, and says, oh, the Lord bless Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, if God, if he, God, has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. And the key here is that word kindness, hesed, because we see that repeated through the book of Ruth. Now, the book of Ruth wants us to see God's kindness on display. He wants to show us how God's kindness, hesed, is shown through the angled mirror of each one of us to those around us. Now, I don't know about you, but the word kindness is underwhelming, right? It's underwhelming. And it is underwhelming because this word hesed is untranslatable. The Hebrew word hesed doesn't have a word in the English translation that really gets to grips with what it means. It's, word, it's one of the most important words of the Old Testament. It's used 250 times, in fact. And it's so important because it's the word God uses to describe himself. If you want to know what God is like, he says, well, I'm hesed. Loving kindness. We see this in Exodus chapter 34. When Moses meets with God and he says, who are you? What kind of God are you? Who are you? God says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, and there's one thing I'm abounding in, it's hesed. This is how I roll. This is how I do everything. I'm abounding in hesed. So the the best words that we have in our English to kind of sum up what hesed is, is love or kindness or sometimes loving kindness. But in the English, in the English words, these words in this cultural moment in Los Angeles, it's pretty underwhelming. I mean, these words are pretty shallow in their depth. I mean, I was just reminded this week how low, the low bar of kindness for someone to be kind is pretty low. I was in Trader Joe's this last week. I was getting some groceries the Marina del Rey one. And have you been out of that one? And the parking lot is a nightmare, right? All the cars are like jammed together. And as I was walking out with my trolley full of food, um, I greeted some other people just like waiting. And we, I thought, what's going on? And there was this lovely elder lady driving like this older lady, beautiful Buick from 1903 or something. <laughs> and it was huge. And it was like, oh, you'll never get out. You'll never get out. She was just reversing and then going back in again, reversing. And everyone was going, oh, it's gonna take forever, right? And I thought, oh well, okay. So I just put my trolley there, went up, and I thought, oh no, do I like offer to get in and do this for her? But I thought, might get arrested. So I thought, I said, look, don't worry, I'll guide you. So I said, look, come back, come back. And I was doing all this thing about two feet, one feet, stop. Big turn left, doing this, stop. Big turn right, come back, stop. And after about half an hour, we, we got there eventually. And she finally got out and she wound down her window and we high-fived as she went off. And I applauded her, well done. 
But here's the thing. Two or three people with their trolleys were like, and one person said, you are so kind. Now I thought, oh no. Kind, the bar of kindness has gone that far down. Helping an elderly woman is like the epitome and the Mount Everest of kindness in our city. So if we just say God is kind or be kind to others, we're left with this kind of just carry your neighbor's groceries as if that's going to change the world. Similar thing with love. He said it's weak source to call it love. Because I don't know about you, but I love lots of things. I love my wife, I love my kids. I also love medium rare steak. I also love EDM. I also love all sorts of stuff, right? It's like love is used for almost anything. And so it's really hard to get to grips with what hesed is to understand God if we just use these English words. Now, let me just summarize, therefore, some theology for you of what hesed actually means. And really to get to grips with it, there's three dimensions to it, and they're on the screen here very briefly. The first is relational loyalty. What God means by I am abounding in hesed is I am abounding in relational loyalty, which means this, hesed is about relationship and binding myself to this relationship that no matter what you do, you ain't getting rid of me. Whatever you do. You can hate me and you can be really unlikable, but I'm still here. I'm not abandoning my people. I'm never going to leave you. So Hesed love is this relational loyalty. Let's say I'm loving you, not because you're likable right now, but because we're family or we're connected or we're in community or we're in covenant together. Relational loyalty. The other dimension is Hesed is sacrificial, gracious action. Hesed is never a feeling. Hesed is something you do. And principally, you do out of sacrifice and of grace for someone else. That I'm going to sacrifice my time, my talents, my treasure. I'm going to actually enter into this costly. I'm doing something out of my resources to help someone who doesn't deserve anything. This is God's kind of love. It's sacrifice and not merit-based. It's what Michael Card in his great book on Hesed Describing Hesed, he says, it's the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing but gives me everything. Hesed. And finally, it's enduring. Hesed isn't up and down like our feelings of love in this world. They're not based on our emotions, which can be different from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Hesed is about never quitting. It's going to love you, and I'm not going to quit. I'm in this for the long haul. I love Sally, uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones, who wrote the great book, Every Parent Should Have It, which helps children understand the, the Bible. She describes Hesed as the never, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Do you see how love and kindness in our cultural moment doesn't ever get near what Hesed truly is? And this is what Boaz is reflecting to Ruth and Naomi. 
It's almost like the author has gone, there's this amazing concept called hesed, which is in the heart of God, and he wants the whole world to be filled with his hesed and relationships to operate in the environment of hesed. This is how he rolls. This is how the world was created for people to be in mutual hesed with one another, but we've got to actually visually tell a story about this. Because I don't think people get it yet. I'm going to write a story of a man who showed it. His name is Boaz. See, Boaz is going about his day. Things are booming. Famine is over. Harvest time's in. He goes to check out his fields. Wealthy man. And there in the fields is someone he should have nothing to do with. She's a foreigner. She's an enemy. She's actually in hard times because her family made some stupid decisions. Racial barriers in that culture and ethnic barriers in that culture said, you don't cross those. And yet, in that moment, Boaz knows God and knows the hesed of God, and he decides to express hesed to Ruth. I mean, she bows down and goes, what on earth are you doing? See, when hesed hits you, it's, it's surprising. Because this is otherworldly type of love. He says, look, I'm going to protect you. You're an enemy. I don't know, you're pretty vulnerable around here because we have a whole history of what the Moabites have done to Israel. You're not safe. So work with my workers and you'll be safe. I've told the guys not to do anything. I will protect you. You are vulnerable I'll protect you. You're hungry. Okay, you're gathering up the scraps. Look, I'm going to give you more. That's not enough. I'm going to give you more. You need anything, you come to me. And he starts to outwork Hesed to her. But then he goes further because Naomi and Ruth clock on. Rather cunning, I've got to say. But he's a kinsman redeemer. He's a guardian redeemer. He's not just being nice. And they go, we're going to go all in. We're going to go all in, Ruth. Put on your best frock. We're going all in. <laughs> we're going all in because we're going to actually ask him if he would go beyond being nice in a Trader Joe's parking lot kind of way. We're going to ask him if he goes beyond just helping us have an extra bushel. We're going to ask him to go all the way into Hesed. We're going to ask him to redeem us, redeem us fully, that we actually have now a secure foundation for our future. And Naomi knew in that time that two things were going to have to happen to get her and Ruth back on solid ground. That they were going to go to Boaz and say, you've got to marry. And you've got to buy our land. And we'll see that later in the story. See, Boaz goes beyond Trader Joe's being kind to deeply other world hesed. Ruth comes and says, look, will you do this for us? And he knows he's got to do two things to fully restore them. First of all, he's got to buy their land back. See, land was everything. It's your 401k. It's your home. It's your medical care. It's everything. It's your land. It's your asset. And without it, you and your generations are destitute. And so he knows out of his riches, he's got to buy back the land. The land that they sold because of stupid decisions, to defect from God and leave. It's their own fault Naomi lost her land. But he says, you know, I'm going to be gracious. I'm going to actually 
absorb your mistakes into my life. I'm going to absorb your debt into my life. You don't deserve it. I've never met you before, but I want to show God's hesed to you. I'm going to wipe the slate clean by absorbing everything you've done and lost. I'm going to absorb it into me that I can wipe away your past and give you a fresh start. But he goes on and they know that land is not enough because they've got no children to continue the family line. And so they know that he's got to marry Ruth. Now, normally, you'd marry Naomi, which is enough of a task. There is a, there's a provision called Leverite marriage in the Old Testament where if there's a widow, then another family member, not related, like an in-law, could go, I'll marry you and have children that you can further your line. And these children will, I'll care for them, but they're your descendants. I mean, that in itself is a sacrifice. But Naomi's too old to have kids. And so Naomi goes, Ruth, it's got to be you. If we're going to have any hope for the future, he's got to marry you. And we can't miss right now the scandal of what they're asking him to do. To marry a Moabite. To marry someone who's an arch enemy of God. To marry into that place where this person blatantly, in their, in their line, in their culture, in their history, is undeserving of this. The scandal is going to come to him of what are you doing? The loss of reputation, the loss of credibility. Don't you, don't you love us that you would go do that? And Boaz goes further than Trader Joe's kindness. He absorbs their debt into his own life. He uses his riches to pay off their mistakes. And then he goes further and goes, you know what? And now I'm going to bring you into my family. All my riches are now going to become yours. You're not just a clean slate, but now I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to give you my riches. I'm going to give you all my wealth. I'm going to give you my relational family. You are now mine. We are now family. You are cared for forever. You are part of me now. This radical, extravagant, costly hesed. This is the point of the book of Ruth. That this kind of hesed transforms lives. And it took someone to go, I'm going to step in. I'm going to be the angled mirror that mirrors God's hesed that other people's lives can be transformed around me. Boaz took his responsibility seriously. It cost him. It was uncomfortable. It cost him his reputation. But he decided to step into his vocation to be God's hesed to those around him, to restore lives, to bring healing to communities, to transform societies, is not done through Trader Joe's kindness. It's this hesed that transforms Naomi's life and it transforms the lives of our city. Hesed brings justice to the oppressed. Hesed brings sacrifice for the undeserving. Hesed brings generosity for those who can give nothing in return. Hesed brings forgiveness to those who don't deserve it. Hesed brings commitment to those who are difficult. Hesed brings breaking down of racial and stereotype barriers, even though it's unpopular. And Jesus said, Hesed ultimately goes all the way to loving your enemy. This is the Hesed of God 
through humanity. We mostly see hesed in the context of our biological families, right? I, one author put it this way, to give examples of hesed. One author said, look, hesed is a, the bone-weary father who drives through the night to bail his drug-addicted son out of jail. Hesed is the mother who spends day after thankless day spoon-feeding and wiping up after a, a, dis a disabled child. This guy must have been a pastor because his third illustration was, Hesed is the unsung pastor's wife whose long-suffering, tearful prayers keep her exhausted husband from falling apart at the seams. <laughs> That's my wife. <laughs> see, we see Hesed most normally in our culture. The pinnacle of Hesed is like, well, I might do that for my family, but I draw the line if it's not like family. But Jesus bursts the banks of our restrictions. He said, I command you to love one another. And I command you to bless those who persecute you. And I command you to bless those and forgive those who hurt you. And I even command you to hesed your enemies. See, God's transforming love in the world isn't, can I help you park your car? It's I'm going to sacrifice what I have for those who don't deserve it, for those who are unlikable, for those who hurt me. I'm going to mirror God's hesed to them. See, I don't know about you, but the most transforming times of my life, in my faith, in my everything, is, is when someone has shown me hesed. I look back over my life and I go, oh my word, I was in such dire straits. Oh my word, I didn't know which way I was going. I, I didn't know where, what to do. But Ian showed me hesed. But Lizzie, my wife, showed me hesed. But Andrew came in and showed me, I said, I was a jerk. I was in a situation of my own mistake. I was actually being a bit prideful. But Wesley came in and showed me, I said. And you can do the same thing in your life too. There are people in your life. And then maybe this community right now is like showing you, I said. And it's in that context that it feels like the greenhouse for I'm loved, I'm secure, and I feel hope coming back. I feel, I feel a future coming back. I'm not alone. I've got people who are with me even when I'm at my worst. Or something's been done to me that I don't know if I can cope anymore. I have people in my life who show me hesed. This is the vocation of God's people. This is what we're called to. Not just to love our friends, to take care of those who take care of us. Anybody can do that. It's to be a Boaz, to look at a stranger, a foreigner, someone who's outside of my social scene, outside of my economic sphere, someone who probably doesn't deserve much and go, you know what, God's calling me to Hesed. This is the call, the vocation of the people of God. I don't know about you, but I get angry at what is told to be the Christian message over the last 30, 40 years in our country. It's not wrong, but it's so reductionistic. It's this, it's believe in Jesus, he'll save you, and you'll get to heaven. 
It's so reductionistic, it's damaging. It's destructive. Because at the heart of the Christian message is, let me just fill in the gaps for you. Yes, we are broken, we are in darkness, we all need rescuing because in our own strength we're in trouble. Jesus came to rescue us, to redeem us, be Boaz to us, to bring us back into his family. Jesus is the incarnation of Hesed. He came and paid out of his own life to raise our debts on the cross. He brought into himself our past failures and mistakes and restored to us a clean slate. He then said, look, I'm going to kind of, kind of like marry you. I'm going to bring you into my family. I'm going to adopt you into my family. I'm now covenant, covenanted to you. So all my riches is now yours. All my family and love is now yours. You're safe and you're secure. You're in the family of God. Now then, the point of that is not that one day we get to heaven. The point of that is now you can be my angle's mirror to the world around you. You are my image bearers. You've been lost in narcissistic, chasing your own dreams for so long. I'm rescuing you back to your created vocation all the way back in Genesis 1 to be my image bearers. Los Angeles is a lovely city, but a painful city. And what it needs is the church of Jesus Christ to take their vocation seriously, to be the hesed to those around us. This is... The whole point of being a follower of Jesus is to get back with Jesus to bring his healing, to bring his love, to end racism, to end injustice, to pick up the people out of oppression and say, thank God that the people of God are in this city because they are bringing hesed into this city. This is the point. And yes, when we die, we're with Jesus. But you see, the reductionistic gospel is no gospel at all for our world. The point is that we step back into being image bearers, that we be Boazes to those around us. Now, here's the problem. Here's a real problem. Because <laughs> that's like, yes and amen. But I can't do that. I mean, just getting real for a minute, maybe you can. I can do the Trader Joe stuff. And I may be able to do a bit of that Hesed stuff for my family. I just don't have it in me to do Hesed to strangers. You know, I'm not walking down the street looking for the undeserving and going, hey, mate, I'm going to commit myself to you. You can't get rid of me. I'm going to bless you. And even when you're unlikable, kind of like now. I don't go to my workers, my employees, my customers, my investors, my neighbors. I'm not hesed to them. And yet that's what we're called to be, this angled mirror. But I feel completely inadequate to do that. It feels like the bar is way too high. How can I, if God is hesed, I can't reach that standard. But that's the point. If you feel inadequate like me, congratulations. Congratulations. Because you're in the perfect place to actually start to work, outwork Hesed. Because the point is, we can't overflow Hesed until we receive the embodied Hesed of Jesus. In John chapter 1, those famous words where it talks about Jesus coming in the flesh, we often read it at Christmas, that we have seen the glory of God in Jesus, full of grace and truth. Well, that phrase, 
in the Greek is actually a translation of Exodus 34, where God describes himself as full of love, full of hesed. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm coming as the ultimate hesed, and when you invite me into your life, you're inviting hesed to love bomb you, to come in and transform you from the inside, to wipe the slate clean, to do a Boaz on you, to then invite you into the family of God, and when you no longer have to strive for security because you've got the hesed of Jesus, when you no longer have to strive for significance because you're now adopted into the family of God, when you no longer have to strive for security because he'll always take care of you, when you no longer have to strive for things, when you no longer have to seek things because he is everything to you, guess what? You start to overflow to others. When you know the deep forgiveness of Jesus, you start to not be able to hold it back from others. When you start to experience the extravagant grace of Jesus to you, you start to not withhold grace to others. When you realize the mercy he has shown to you, you start to realize, I can't withhold mercy from others. When you realize that he brought you out of the depths of your own mistakes and cleaned you up and put you in his family, like the prodigal son running back to his father in guilt, but the father runs out and embraces him with hesed and puts a fresh cloak on him and restores him to the family. When this has happened to you, and when every day you're abiding in the hesed love of Jesus, something happens to you. And you start to look at others not as what they can do for you, but what Hesed you can do for them. We have such an opportunity to bring the Hesed love of God into our marriages, into our parenting, into our kids, into our neighbors, into our customers, into our bosses, our enemies, into all sorts of people because we have hesed within us. You've been brought to this city to do lots of things. Yes, to make it. Yes, to get a beach house, I'm sure. Yes, to get a great car, I'm sure. Yes, to maybe become you know, famous, whatever it is. But that pales into insignificance in truly what your vocation is, to be an image bearer of God's hesed to those around you. When God looks at this city, the pain, the darkness, the loneliness, he sees a city full of Ruth's and Naomi. And he says, you know what? I'm gonna bring my healing. I'm gonna bring my restoration. And the way I'm gonna do that is he brought you and you and you and you to this city to be his Boaz. Let's stand together. Love you to close your eyes. We're going to invite the prayer team up here. And I'm just going to, the prayer team are here because many, first of all, many need, feel, you know what, I feel like Ruth and Naomi right now. I feel like I'm in trouble. And we as a community would love to pray for you, to see God's hesed, provision, and love pour into your life. So as we worship, come forward, our prayer team are going to be here. But the reason why we worship now is because all of us, particularly me, need a fresh infilling of his hesed.
that we're bubbling over the love of God for us onto others. So Father, as we come to worship you now, we come to worship you, flow your hesed love into our hearts. Remind us again of who you are, what you've done, that we may overflow to those around me, those you've placed me in relationship with, those strangers you bring upon my path, those I work with. Lord, let me be an angled mirror of your hesed that will transform our city. Fill us, we pray, as we worship you now. Amen. Thanks for joining us for another week. We'd love to connect with you at one of our gatherings or online at vintagechurchla.com.